Thank you, Doug, for that prayer. We really appreciate it this morning. Well, we this morning are going to continue our study in the Gospel of John. And if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. If you're here this morning visiting and you don't have a Bible, um, that there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you underneath there. And if you don't own a Bible, you're just welcome to take that Bible right with you. Um, we would love, if you don't have a Bible for you, just to take one um, as a gift from our church. If you are watching live stream this morning and you don't have a Bible or access to one, that's okay. Uh, most of the verses that I will mention will be on the screen, so I think you'll be able to follow along easily enough. We come this morning in our ongoing study of the Gospel of John to chapter 11, and I mentioned at the end of chapter 10, you may remember last week that at the end of chapter 10, we come to the end of Jesus' public ministry, or what is classically known as his public ministry, especially his ongoing conflicts with the Jewish religious leaders. As we enter into chapter 11 and move forward in the Gospel of John, Jesus now turns his attention primarily to his followers, including his disciples, and then ultimately as we work our way through the Gospel of John, we will see Jesus making his journey to the cross. I also want to mention that in chapter 11, it's an interesting chapter, most of the chapter There are 57 verses in chapter 11, and most of it has to do with Jesus and Lazarus, this man named Lazarus. In fact, the first 44 verses are about Jesus and Lazarus. And so what I have done is I have taken those 44 verses and broken them into four parts. They will be four different sermons. And today we have Jesus and Lazarus part one, and that is these first 16 verses. Let me read them for you. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Well, our first point this morning is death for the glory of God. A man named Lazarus is about to die, and his death will be for the glory of God. The death of Lazarus Lazarus will be for the glory of God. Now, in verse 1, the Apostle John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, introduces us to this man. And this was a very common way for ancient writers to do this, so you knew who they were speaking of. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So, a man was ill, and it was Lazarus of Bethany. And John points this out because at this time in history, there were actually quite a few men named Lazarus. In Luke chapter 16, there is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. They are two completely different people. They are not the same person at all. He wants you to know, he wants his readers to know, this is Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany's the village of Mary and her sister Martha. As I was reading on this, evidently by this time when the Gospel of John was written and people were reading it, they already knew about the account, the story of Mary and her sister Martha in Luke chapter 10, where Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and Martha was distracted by everything that had to be done. Those readers would have been familiar with that account, so John is saying to them, this is the village, you know, of Mary and Martha. You know who Mary and Martha are. It's the village where they are from. So he identifies Lazarus for us, and then in verse 2 gives us some more information. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Again, The story of Mary anointing Jesus with ointment is found in Mark chapter 14, and the readers would have been familiar with that. It's this Mary. Jesus was at the home of a man named Simon the leper. Mary comes in. She anoints him with oil, and Jesus said it is a beautiful act of worship because she is anointing his body for his burial. So it's that Mary. He's saying to his readers, it's that particular Mary who did this great act of worship whose brother Lazarus was ill. So now we know that Lazarus not only lived in the same village as Mary and Martha, he's their brother. So it is Mary and Martha and Lazarus all together in the same location or same home. So in verse 3, it says, So the sister sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord... He whom you love is ill. You know, we've spent a lot of time in the Gospel of John, and rightly so, talking about the deity of Christ. One of the great themes that runs throughout the whole Gospel of John is the fact that Jesus is fully God. But here in verse 3, we see his humanity. Do not forget that Jesus is fully God and fully man, both at the same time. And here it says, Lord... He whom you love is ill. Very tender expression. Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love is is sick. And it indicates that it may be that Jesus 
had a special friendship with Lazarus. Jesus was a man. He was God, but he was also fully a man. And he loves all of his followers, but as a man, it is likely he had some friends that he was closer to, just like you do, just like I do. It's Lazarus whom you love. But then we come to verse 4. Verse 4 is really the key, not only for today's passage, but really for most of John chapter 11. But when Jesus heard it, heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now he says this illness does not lead to death. Now don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that Lazarus isn't going to die because we know, if you know this chapter, you know that Lazarus does die and Jesus eventually raises him from the dead. But Jesus is saying in the long run, at the end, this illness does not lead to death even though Lazarus will die. But here's the important part. That second sentence of verse 4, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus is going to die for the glory of God, for the glory of God the Father and for the glory of God the Son. Lazarus is going to die so that the wisdom, love, and power of God might be made manifest, so that people will give all credit to God, so that people will praise God and honor God, because that's what it means to give glory to God. So what we are about to see in this chapter is all going to be done, planned, carried out for the glory of God. Now, here's something that I really want you to notice this morning in this first section. Every detail related to the death of Lazarus is being controlled by the sovereign plan and design of God. Every single detail related to the death of Lazarus is being controlled by the sovereign plan and design of God. Nothing is happening by chance or accident. In verse 5, Another very tender verse, very interesting. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's great. It may indicate that Jesus had spent much time in their home. Again, it seems to indicate that they had some kind of close friendship with Jesus in a very human sense. Jesus loved them. Now, there is a broader application to that in this. It's great that we love Jesus, and we do. But always remember, he loves you. He cares about you. Jesus loved them. We're going to see later in the chapter that Jesus wept when he saw their grief and mourning. Jesus loved this family. In verse 6, it says, So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that sounds strange to our ears. That's not how the story's supposed to go, or at least how we read most stories. This is a strange verse, always has been, but a powerful verse, very important to the whole account. 
when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, and he's like really sick. He's not just like has the common cold or something. He's really sick. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We think we should read, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he dropped everything, immediately went to Bethany and did whatever he possibly could to save him. But that's not what it says. He deliberately, intentionally stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And verse 7 then says, then after this, then after the two days, then after the two days, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Men, I want you to go with me. We're going to Bethany of Judea. I want you to go with me. In verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus, why do you want to go back there? We remember chapter 10. We just went through the last part of chapter 10. They were going to stone Jesus. They picked up stones to stone him. Later it says they wanted to arrest him. After that, he went across the Jordan where John was baptizing and all kinds of people were coming to him and many believed in him. That's where we ended last week and the disciples are like, Jesus, it's going really well here. Things are going great. Why do you want to go back to Judea? And Jesus says something that will be strange to us but wasn't to his initial readers, to those listening to him. Verse 9 says, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Now, this is, we could call, a Jewish idiom that was familiar to his initial readers. What it meant, it would have been understood by his disciples. For the Jewish people, there are 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. That's just a set thought for them. They know what that means when you say a day is 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. Now, when the seasons change, for them, just like for us, there would be days where there was more light and less light. But... That's beside the point. They saw a day. That's how they thought of a day, as 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. And what Jesus is saying, just as God has set each day, so he has appointed for all of us a time to live and a time to work for the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, this is my time to do what the Father has given me to do. It's my time. That's why I'm going to Judea, because it is my time. And you know, the same is true for us. You were born when you were born in this era of history, because that's how God and his sovereignty and providence designed it. Maybe sometimes you think, oh, I wish I had been born in a different era. Sometimes people say, oh, I wish I had been born in much simpler times. Don't wish that. This is your time. The time for you in history is right now. The time to you 
for you to live for Christ, to give glory to God, is right now. And if you know the light of the world, Jesus, then you will know what he has given you to do. But if you don't know Jesus, then you walk in the darkness and you stumble. So Jesus said, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So you walk in the light and you do not stumble because the light is in you. You know what God has given you to do. But the bottom line in what Jesus is saying is this. I've waited two days for Lazarus to die because I'm working according to the plan that God has given me. This is my time. This is my time of light. And I am going to do exactly as the Father has planned and given me to do. Now, at this point, and understandably so, because if we were in their place, we would have done the same thing. The disciples are really wrestling with understanding what Jesus is saying here, especially as it relates to Lazarus. So our second point this morning is Jesus gently instructs his disciples. Jesus' disciples are confused by his words and actions, so he gently begins to explain what he is doing. In verse 11, in verse 11 it says, after saying these things, just talking about light and darkness, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, If he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Lord, why is this a big thing to you? If he's just asleep, he'll wake up. If he's just ill, are you saying that he's going to recover? Well, verse 13, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Well, that leads us to verses 14 and 15. Again, very important, critical part of this particular text Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Jesus waited two days so that Lazarus would die, and in that two-day period of time, he has died. So Lazarus was very sick, very sick. From the time the word first came to Jesus, he waits two days, and Lazarus died. And notice what he says in verse 15, And for your sake... I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, there is one main overriding theme in this chapter, and really we could say in all of the Bible, and that is the glory of God. That God does as he does and works as he works for his own glory. But there is a secondary theme here. It is subservient to the first first, but very much connected to the first theme, and that is Jesus is going to use this great miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, to increase the faith of his disciples. He wants them to grow strong in faith. He wants to increase their faith. This is going to be a very important teaching moment for them. Not Even though we've got quite a few chapters to go in the Gospel of John, chronologically it is not very far away. They're going to see Jesus hanging on a cross. 
Their faith needs to be strong. He's teaching them, just like he's teaching us. He wants to increase our faith. He wants our faith to be strong. So he says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Again, sounds a bit strange. I'm so glad I wasn't there to save his life. It's for your sake, so that you may believe, so that you may increase in faith. But notice what he says. He says, but let us go to him. Let us go to him. He doesn't say, wait here. I'm going to go to Bethany of Judea. You guys wait here for me. No, you're coming with me. This is your time too. This is your time to learn and your time to grow. Well, in verse 16, there's almost like an addendum. By the way, kind of verse. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, in essence, is speaking on behalf of all the disciples. The disciples at this point in their lives have a great devotion to Jesus, kind of an emotional devotion to Jesus. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, but the disciples are convinced, especially Thomas, that he's going to go there and die. So let's go and die with him. So there is a sense in which this is very genuine and sincere. I think Thomas really is willing to go and die with him. Now, he's not going to die there. Not now. But if he is, Thomas is willing to die with him. Now, we know. We know because we've read the rest of the story. In the Garden of Gethsemane, they're all going to scatter from him. They weren't as willing to die for him as they thought they were. We know when Jesus rises from the dead, it is Thomas, who is sometimes called Doubting Thomas, who doubts that Jesus has actually bodily risen from the dead. We know all that. But right here, he appears to be very sincere. Let's go with him, men, even if it means we have to die with him. So, as we kind of come to this first section of the four that we're going to look at, they are on their way to Bethany of Judea, where Lazarus has died. But as we kind of bring this to a or as we bring this to a conclusion this morning, there's one thing that I really want us to focus on. Today's passage is a powerful reminder that God sovereignly controls every aspect of life and death. Let me say that again. This is a powerful reminder today that God sovereignly controls every aspect of life and of death. What Jesus is going to do, he is going to do for the glory of God. What Jesus does, he always does for the glory of God. So whatever God is accomplishing in the world, whatever God is accomplishing through his church, whatever God is accomplishing through your individual church, excuse me, your individual life, it is all for his glory. His ultimate goal is his own glory because his glory is our greatest joy. Which means sometimes we won't always understand what God is doing because what he does, he always does for his glory. But we are to always have that in mind. We think of that famous verse in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
we are supposed to seek to do everything for his glory to be in harmony with what he is already doing. Even in the most mundane things of life, like eating and drinking, we are to do it all to the glory of God. But I want you to think of that sub-theme, that secondary theme that I mentioned. God is always working for the good and growth of his children, just as it was true for his disciples, so it is true for all of us. God is always working for our good and our growth, but that means, folks, that means we will not always understand what he is doing. Sometimes his ways will be mysterious to us. Sometimes what he knows is best for us and for our growth is not what we would think is best. But he is always working. So as God works for his own glory, and he works for our good and growth, we will never fully understand all that God is doing. But he wants us to trust him anyway. We will never fully understand all that God is doing, but he wants us to trust him anyway. Folks, let me this morning, based on this thinking of the death of Lazarus and the glory of God and the teaching of his disciples, let me share with you a very tender and sensitive truth this morning. Sometimes Christians get sick. Sometimes they get very sick. And we pray for them. And sometimes God heals them. And he is glorified. Sometimes Christians get sick. And we pray for them. And they die. And God is glorified. Sometimes Christians get in accidents. And God miraculously spares them. And God is glorified. Sometimes Christians get in accidents. And they die. And God is glorified. We will never fully understand all that God is doing. But he wants us to trust him. Anyway, I want to close with a great doxology, a great section of praise found in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Romans chapters 9 through 11 have some very difficult truths in them, but as the Apostle Paul comes to the end of chapter 11, he bursts forth with this great doxology of praise. And he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depth of God's wisdom. Oh, the depth of his knowledge. His judgments are unsearchable. His paths no one can trace. Who? Who has known the mind of the Lord? 
And then Paul ends with this. To him be the glory forever. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this passage would be used to increase our faith, would be used to increase our trust in you. In your providence, you control every aspect of life and death. Help us to live for your glory and help us to find great comfort and rest in the fact that you can be glorified in either life or in death. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.